Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I am joined by my co-hosts, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Good day. Long time no see. And Mr. Peter Crable. Hey, Mr. Crabes. Hello, Hello Dr. Mr. Dodd. Uh, we oh, It's great to see you, Mr. Crabes. We um, are still a podcast. Ed's Not Dead is still a podcast, and we are still friends. Um, and we are back on the air. Thank you to our listeners <laughs> for, <laughs> for sticking around, for sticking around, and for giving us our how many month hiatus we've had. Yeah. We've we've had show hi- hiatus before, haven't we? We have, and you know what? It's okay. We get we we get to do what we want. That's the fun of it. That's right. right. That that is the fun of it. So Ed's not dead is back, uh, and we have a great show for you. As always, you can find us. At Ed's Not Dead PC and on Twitter. And of course, uh, you can check out our website, edsnotdead.com. Uh, the pod is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, a full service educational media company focusing on leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Fellas, it is indeed good to see you. Uh, we did have a pre pod show planning meeting on Saturday night. First time we've been together, the three of us in person in a while. And uh, we watched or kind of watched football and got caught up and on each other's lives. How are you? I'm great. I ha- I did you like how I had to ask you what kind of sport ball we were going to be watching? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is a, a known connoisseur of uh, organized athletics. There was a time in my life where I was very, you know, I was pretty, I was marginally in, into a lot of different sports, and it's just, it's, it's evacuated from my brain and but you but you've always struck me mr siddons as someone that likes to play sports but doesn't really like to watch sports that's about that's about right that's i mean i I, you were a soccer player and i remember you watching you at one argyle magnet middle school back in the 2010s watching you play pickup basketball and you had a very high motor, didn't he, Mr. Graves? <laughs> that's I, shocking. I have, I, I have speed and that's about it. <laughs> I do remember you dribbling around at a very, I mean, you were, you were, you, you were a blur. You never stopped moving. I know. A little road runner. <laughs> yes, he was, he was the road runner. And we have, we have our student staff basketball game on Friday and I'm going to be, very, very exhausted and sore. Better you keep better, those elbows down. Yeah, you better you better make sure you don't have a pounder and drop down on the dead on the court. <laughs> <laughs> those are, you gotta watch out once yeah, you get to get up age. there in age. Yeah. yeah la- last year one of my one of my students uh totally broke my ankles and it was I fell on the ground. It was very embarrassing. In Did front of the whole school? Uh in front of a, a you know, a hundred kids or so. Oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty hit, pretty awesome. Hit you with a crossover? He did, and then I I was uh my my I, I bought a new wig last year, so I've been wearing a wig while I play basketball. <laughs> okay, we need a video of that. That's and, and and there were students who and staff members who didn't know who I was when I was walking down the hallways. <laughs> it that's would be amazing. disconcerting to see you with a full it full is. on mop. It is, and it matches uh my my beard pretty well oh, so wow. yeah Hark- uh harken back to those uh argyle pickup basketball games i do remember watching mr crable too uh, who th- i think kind of thought he was steph curry the way he would jack up shots <laughs> he <laughs> was good <laughs> i know i know but he was a sh- he had full confidence in his uh, jump shot didn't yeah. you 
I, yeah, yeah. Look, if you don't shoot it, you're not going to make it. That's right. Said <laughs> you know? Wayne Gretzky. I mean, Peter Kramer. That's right. I coined that one that you see on uh, school right. walls everywhere nationwide. Yep. That was me. <laughs> All right, so you've you've survived the almost the first semester of the 23-24 school year. Uh you're still assistant principaling, Mr. Siddons, and I, Mr. I am. Mr. Crable is still principaling and you've had good school years, I trust. It's yeah. been great. <laughs> uh, third, I have eighth third, third, third third year fully back from the pandemic, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, year okay. 3. It's pretty wild to think about how where we've come in the last three years, and and when you look back at some of the things that uh, we had to deal with coming back from COVID, and uh, I don't know, our, we 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 need to have a retrospective at some point because have we really recovered? I don't know. All right. So speak speaking of that on the show today, which I usually share with our audience at the beginning of the show. Uh, we are going to do a year in education 2023 review. Mr. Siddons has so nicely stuffed the show notes with uh, <laughs> great <education>. 12 articles, <laughs> 12 articles uh, month by month. Are you going to put these up um, when we drop this episode? So folks yeah. have access to, to this compendium of Great Ed articles. Absolutely. Yeah, because okay. it was interesting. Casey brought up the point of where we were like January of this year and just be like, dang, that was January, not even a year ago. So I think that would be helpful. Yeah. Chat GBT is landing kids in the principal's office survey finds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of, lots of, lots of, lots of gems here. Thank you, uh, Casey. And um, right now we're going to, uh, talk a little bit about school leadership fellas so i wanted to mention um that uh three longtime principals highly effective school leaders that i've known for many many years dr mark cohen miss jennifer webster and mr edward awusu um of seneca valley high school walter johnson high school and clarksburg high school respectively um are retiring mid-year these are three um 30 plus year public educators uh who interestingly when i was thinking back over their careers uh they both served all three of them served as middle school principals uh prior to being high school principals and um they came from different backgrounds as far as what they did before they were school administrators but um when when you think of three high school principals leaving a school system in the middle of the year that's a little jarring. I'm incredibly happy for these three people. I think um, they all made their own personal decisions about why and when to retire. Um, and I don't think we're really going to get into that uh, on the show because I'm not privy to that information. But I just, I just, um, I thought I thought it raised a question about um, school leadership because. Even on this show, we've been talking during the pandemic, the three years out of the pandemic, about the crisis in um, the teaching profession. And I, not patting myself on the back, but I, I, I did start to think about a year ago that maybe we were going to eventually have a crisis in school leadership. Um, do people want to become school leaders? Um, is the job as rewarding as it used to be? Um, 
So I just wanted to get your perspectives on what you think of that. And um, and first and foremost, I want to say to Mark, Jennifer, and Edward, thanks for all that you did for thousands of students over the years. You guys were awesome school leaders. Uh, we all know for a fact that Dr. Mark Cohen is a friend of the pod and has listened to us religiously yep. since we started. Um, so I just want to send them our best from Ed's Not Dead for their future endeavors because I know all three of them are going to still have an impact on education. Yep. So what 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 is it what does it say if anything about where we are right now with school leadership? So I think I mean take I'll I'll put it out there just take what I have to say with a grain of salt because I was not a principal pre-COVID. And so I think that serves as like a pretty good marker for those that have been in the principalship um, for a number of years to really kind of compare um, to compare the two. But one thing that has always stuck with me um, that Robbie might not even remember that he has said to me many years ago is that schools are a reflection of society and whatever is going on in society um, is brought into the schoolhouse. And so I've always sort of kept that perspective in the back of my mind as we deal with whatever the challenges of the day are within the school. And I, you know, I can't say that it's more pre-COVID, but the the thing that does concern me about schools and principals and leader, school leadership in general is like the amount that schools are expected to solve and the amount that the, that things are brought in either from the community or that are societal issues that are brought to our doorstep with the expectation that we will resolve them. And in one sense, I think it's, it's um, humbling because to know that somebody looks at you as some, you know, someone who's potentially capable of grappling with these big issues um, amongst youth and, and sometimes community members as well. I think, you know, it's, it's an important reminder of who we are and where we stand and, and some of the stature that we may have, um, which is, which is nice. And as I said, humbling, but at the same time, you know, I can I can speak personally that some of the issues that we see, like, you know, I and we as a school are not able to solve. Um, we can quell, we can work through, but ultimately, you know, I don't know that it's within our power to 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 sort of address some of the societal um, challenges that we have. And when I think about things like the proliferation proliferation of weapons um, that seems to be ever increasing. Um, you know, I, I know I live in D.C., and I know that um, there's been lots of talk of crime and specifically violent crime that has been sparking up armed robbery. Um, you know, these are all like concerning factors. And so I think that's like one of the things that I that I point to. And it's especially hard for me to to wrap my mind around, I think, as well, because the idea of a community school um, is something that is appealing to me, something is a place that serves as the hub, and the nexus for for the community and, and that people can come to for any number of things. And maybe I guess sometimes it, it it feels challenging or not doable to meet all of those needs all within one schoolhouse. Um, and, you know, without the assistance of, of many, many other people. Well said. I, f I, I, I don't have much to add to what Mr. Crable said because it was very eloquently put. I, um, with all the burdens that are placed on school systems and in particular school leadership, it, it, it only brings us further afield from talking about 
what schools are designed to do, which is to teach and for students to learn. And the issues that are placed upon schools and communities that schools are expected to solve, or at least some, you know, kind of be a buffer, a bumper in some ways, only creates more distance from uh, assistant principals, principals from actually doing the work of, of fostering a place that has effective teaching for all kids and fosters a, a place where, it, where there's a love of learning. And, and I don't, I, uh, like on a broad spectrum, when I talk to teachers, not not in my school, not just in my school, but like across uh, folks, when I talk online and on Twitter and all these other places, uh, like the, I feel like the love of teaching and the fun of teaching and fun of being in a school building has kind of, uh, it seems like it has diminished since COVID. And I, I think, you know, as Casey, as you said, um, you know, I, I sometimes feel like I hearken back to like the good old days. And I don't even know when those are of like when schools were just responsible for teaching and learning yeah. while also knowing that like, that's not ever really the only thing that schools did. No, no, not, of, course, of course, you know, but, but it, I think mostly selfishly be like, Oh, wouldn't it be easier if, <laughs> right. um, you know, but knowing that, you know, schools also don't exist in a vacuum. So it's not like, regardless of what is going on in the community or kids, everybody's just going to come be like, yeah, this t- you know thing happened, but I'm I'm just going to come ready to learn tomorrow just because the great pedagogy happened True. in the schoolhouse. True. Um, so that's that's one of the one of the areas I think that I I go back and forth of like a hearkening to something that never really existed in the first place, and that is just a, more reflection of it. Like, oh man, this is this is a hard, multifaceted job. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I I I think that is very well said. I. I connected to that is like this idea of during COVID, we we increasingly relied on technology because that is the way in which we connected with our, our students and our families, right? But now, three years past the initial epidemic, um, we, I feel like there's an over-reliance on technology that I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's as healthy or I, I don't, I, I, on a very micro level, I question the level of engagement in kids and engagement in staff and engagement in community with, with the technology that was supposed to solve a lot of things. And I don't know that it, I don't know that it's doing that. I think it's, there's a lot of. what. What's the phrase, Mr. Sins? Uh, high engagement, low learning. Yeah. High involvement. Involvement, low learning. It's on my bulletin yeah. board behind my desk. Yeah. There, there, look at you. It is. Um, uh, thank you, uh, Mr. Sins. I I agree um, with both of you. I was I was wondering, and this is kind of a I don't know. It's it's a it's kind of an existential thought about um, school systems. One of you two mentioned school systems. I think it was you, Casey. Um, I, this is not an indictment in any way, shape, or form of school systems, but. I also think that school systems, just by the nature of um, kind of what you described, Peter, are also having a harder time supporting schools. Um, The nature of the work that systems do to support principals, guide principals, um, has become exponentially more difficult. It seems to me 
uh, in my career that um, if if you two are really busy during the day with things that distract you from that mission, Casey, of teaching and learning, imagine what central office officials who are responsible for supporting pr principals, how distracted they are from that mission, which is really, I mean, I've always said that those that supervise principals, that's the most important thing they do is to make principals better, make school leaders better. Um, and when they can't do their jobs, then, you know, it, the, the whole, the whole thing gets a little bit sideways. So, um, I was wondering if you two had a really extraordinary teacher, teacher leader, um, assistant principal, even, uh, would you, would you encourage them to go into school leadership at this point in time, uh, or to be a, ultimately a principal? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I, as I was kind of talking, I was like, um, you know, I like doom and gloomy. So I was going to say something about some of the, the more, you know, positive and, and, um, rewarding aspects, because I, I do think that if you are a competent, capable, caring individual, there is a place for you in any school and in any school system. And that that is, you know, that's needed across the board and, and individuals make differences in the lives of kids every single day. Um, you know, I don't always know that we, that we do the best job of like, you know, preparing people to, of the transition from the classroom and how that's different to becoming an assistant principal um, as that's usually the track. Um, you know, there is also the on-the-job training aspect of it as well. But for sure, if if somebody's interested, like I, there's people already I'm telling that like you should really look into this because you have the heart for it and you have the brain for it, and you will and can make a difference because people like you make a difference. Yep. Yeah, I I agree. I I think um, I, I was I was first I was thinking of people just. I'm working with a, a teacher leader right now with our world languages department, and she's just getting her feet wet into being a leader of teachers. And it's invigorating to see her make the shift from classroom teacher to a leader of teachers and an instructional leader. And that is where I'm getting a lot of my, like uh, a lot of my joy in working with from that lens. Do you know what I mean? So like, that was like one of the best jobs ever was being that department, like a head of a, a group of teachers, Robbie used, used to always call it like a mini principalship. And I feel like it is like you, you're, you're really in the weeds of instruction and pedagogy. And I, I, I love that working with that, that teacher. And it's, it's invigorating in a lot of ways. And it's now that you bring that up, the thing that like gets me the most jazzed at work is when other people <laughs> yeah, have had yeah yes yeah is when other people have ideas of something that they want to do and then they make the plan and put it and make it happen yeah and then you're just like yeah tell me about it and you just yes. listen and you're just like that's amazing yeah let me you know what ask a question here a question there and and you know that's those are the people and that's the things that make a difference not Oh, like I have all these ideas and when people do my ideas, it's so great. Right. It's like I, you know, it's much more um, rewarding when people do and identify problems and, and come that's, up with solutions and invitations themselves. 
that's that's where that's a great point because I'm working with another leader of our special education department and we we were like she was sharing me some things that she's working on to like reinvigorate planning for a specific department or sub department and I I was given some ideas and I was kind of going down a laundry list and then I stopped and I was like I feel like I'm messing up all of your plans and she, and she's like no 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 it's just like which I'm just trying to rethink of of how I'm going to present this and the thing you know the the plans and the work that she did with her team was just tremendous and like the way that she framed it for them was great in terms of thinking about what is the second semester going to look like and it was just uh like you said Crable it's it's nice to see people taking some some ideas and and really putting them into motion in a way that's really going to impact kids so let me ask you Robbie because you have uh you know vastly more experience in the principal and administrative role than we do what are you what do you see and what trends do you see and what you know as you look back and look ahead you know where do you sit with school administration and school leadership generally oh i knew you were going to turn the question on to me i didn't even have a chance to think of it i'm not that fast on my feet um (laughs) i um i i still think it's you know a fan i think it's a fantastic job um i i do you think it's a fair job i don't know i don't know what that means even no i don't i don't i don't think it's a fair job i think it's a job that um probably always has required this but maybe requires it more now it's a job that requires courage i mean being being a being a principal ultimately is i i would i would liken it to i would stack it up there with any really important leadership position i mean i had a friend who's still a uh, a colleague who always used to say the principals are middle managers and that really used to piss me off i thought it was semi insulting and she was a principal um, I don't think she listens to the show, but she would chuckle if she heard me recount that. And we would argue about it because I thought that the principalship was much more than middle management. Um, I think the principalship is an inherently incredibly complex leadership job um, that is just awesome in its kind of scope and and. Um, and I think the research shows that effective principles have a tremendous impact on the mm-hmm. success of schools. I mean, there's just no two ways about it. Um, it's not fair. Uh, lots of days uh, you feel like you're caught in the crosshairs of unfairness, um, but you learn to, um, you know, try to always keep what's best for kids um, at the center of the table, and you you know, it's a position that's oftentimes filled with trade-offs. You don't always get the ideal in school leadership or what you want. Um, but like you guys were saying, I mean, I, the thing I've always loved about it and, and it will, it hasn't changed and I don't see it ever changing is it's a about developing people. Um, and, and if you're into that, there's no more rewarding kind of thing. When I think about you two and all the other people I've worked with over the years that I've just, you know, totally enjoyed watching people develop professionally. What's better than that? Um, and then I, I you guys, you know, stole it from me, which was that 
watching educators innovate and do cool things. I've always, we're going to talk about phonics in a little bit and how how much I hate phonics. Um, <laughs> but I mean, what are schools not? Schools are schools are. You're, we're always trying to make schools better, mm-hmm. and the way you make them better is to try different stuff. Um, and to do cool stuff and to have really smart people or really driven people or people with big hearts, like you said, Crable, try to do really great things on behalf of kids. Um, so I, I, I will say that, and I, I think we're going to, we're going to have to close this up, um, cause we're going to get into the year in review, but, um, I do, I do think the, the external pressures on schools, I think, has increased a lot. Um, and you guys talk a lot about phones and social media and how it's going to be the death of modern society. And I, I do, I do think that there's something happening there that has made school leadership more difficult. Um, and I, 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 it's a big conversation. Um, and I and it's not about indicting parents or the public or anything like that, but it's just I think I think I think there are a lot of pressures on school leaders that didn't necessarily once upon a time exist. Um, so uh, I want to before we go to break, um, I want to once again wish Dr. Mark Cohen, uh, Miss Jennifer Webster, and Mr. Edward Owusu all the best. Um, and thank them for their service to public education. Uh, each of them, 30 years. Wow. That's 90 years total, Spella. Um, almost a century. Pretty wild. Years. And, yeah. and we're, uh, Mr. Wusu was one of my teachers in graduate school. And I'm sure he was excellent. He was amazing. Him and uh, Monifa McKnight, actually. Oh, Dr. McKnight. See, they, look they at co-taught that. co-taught a class together. It was incredible. Yep. All, all great school leaders. Well, yeah. um, we hope they hear this episode. And uh, if you all know Mark, Jennifer, or Edward, send them a kind word about their great work over the years. All right, uh, folks, don't go away. When we come back, Mr. Siddons, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the show facilitation baton to you, and you don't even know it. And we're gonna get into the year in review. Don't go away. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. We are still here. Uh, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, a full-service educational media company focusing on leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Fellas, I am really rusty in the show hosting uh, show hosting skills. Um, <laughs> that's why. I, that's why in this next segment, I was like. When I looked at these 12 articles, I was, I already struggle enough when we do one article and I have to summarize. So, uh, I was, I, I decided that I was going to make Mr. Siddons assist in show hosting. I was equally as daunted when you threw that bomb out and decided to throw the hosting duties over to me because you do such a good job. All right. Thank you. Um, I was, I, so I'm just going to arbitrarily January through December of 23. I can't believe it's about to be 24. Mr. Sins, you have everything in here from seizing on parents' frustration, GOP governors push for education savings accounts to chat GBT to 
uh, sales skyrocket for phone pouch company <laughs> <laughs> as in school bands spread. All right. So it's, it, it, it's a fascinating spread of stories, I, I will admit. Uh, and it's something that I think I think our listeners will really appreciate when they get a the chance to look at the ones that that uh, connect with their interests. But I think it's at a glance what you see with January, February, March stories when you're talking about uh, education savings accounts, school choice, um, and and thinking about how schools are teaching reading and suing uh, school systems, suing social media giants. The first part of the year is really in large part focusing on, if you read through the articles, uh, recovering from the pandemic, still trying to think about how are we thinking about and what are we doing to really move kids and and adults really um, into a different phase from just really just surviving post-COVID. But then as we get into the July, August, September, November, December uh, articles that seem to get gain the most traction, it, it, it almost seems like we're less focused on recovery and more focused on uh, what we might have seen pre-COVID. And that includes things like ChatGBT, um, concerns over absenteeism, and something as micro and small as <laughs> a phone pouch company, uh, as as we're seeing um, concerns rise in, in all levels of school with uh, phones just proliferating across the board. Um, so my question to you guys is is really just about uh I, I think two of the things that we've talked about in the past uh technology and cell phones but let's let's focus on uh something we're gonna be focusing on in the future i think in this show is is chat gbt artificial intelligence on one hand and then school absenteeism as a crisis in and of itself um uh, so I'll, I'll start with you dr dodd as a as a high school principal something that we've seen across the entire country is um uh, chronic absent students and and what your thoughts are as a school leader in in, in or a school system leader in in, com- in combating that uh that challenge um i don't we were you know we were talking about uh this during the break um i can't think of a more um old school historic historical traditional myth about public schooling than compulsory attendance laws um even the word compulsory doesn't that sound like it's a word from the 1950s <laughs> it does uh i mean who uses the word compulsory anyway? selective service compulsory exams i mean it's like the word pupil Right. I mean, I pupils and compulsory laws and, um, you know, I, 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 I attend attendance and then attendance for some kids is a longstanding issue. Um, I mean, you look at like early warning indicators systems that school system use school systems use or research has been done on, um, attendance all the way through secondary education, uh, impacts uh how kids do impacts their graduation from high school whether they're going to graduate from high school um i i think we've continued to put frankly band-aids on attendance um 
Mr. Crable and I, you were talking, we were talking before the show started about one such attendance approach that I won't name, but is kind of a interagency approach to attendance, getting others involved in uh, school attendance aside from just school staff. Um, and I think there's been a lot of those things have, that have probably had some level of mixed success, but I I think it's time to not look at attendance um, as a driver of what we do. Uh, we have to start looking at how schooling works for kids and attendance as kind of an outcome. Um, I don't think what we're doing in schools is necessarily um, attracting kids and engaging kids in 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 learning and wanting to come to school um in really having a sense of kind of you know uh agency uh, over what they do as students um so i think to create better attendance i think attendance needs to go away and we need to think of new ways of educating students in schools we need new models we need to blow it up can um, i can i can i uh sh- shift real I'm going to throw some numbers at at you guys. And and specifically, I'm looking at Peter. But like, if you look at New York City, nation's largest district, chronic absenteeism, which is missing more than 10% of your school days, hit 40%. Uh, Oakland, California said 61% of their students were chronically absent. Providence, Rhode Island, the state where our our Secretary of Education is from, I believe, said fully half of their students missed 10%. And our our own district in Montgomery County, about 27% of students were chronically absent last year. So two questions. One is, uh, is thinking about uh, the validity of, of or the, the reliability of actually monitoring school attendance. How, how d- does attending school for a certain amount of days actually equal a certain amount of learning? And really, how much should we be concerned about, about the, the, the rising absenteeism? Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I tend to put stock in the data. You know, the data is what the data is, and I, I wouldn't argue that kids are coming to school less. And to to Robbie's point, I think to me the the bigger concern is, you know, us as educators having a product that um, kids may be uninterested in, um, and that is the most concerning thing. And I think there's the the attendance and the absenteeism is is a byproduct of what potentially we're offering. You know, I think this is not just, you know, K to 12, but if you look at higher education as well, um, you know, we're at the lowest fall enrollment since 2006. And I saw some recent survey data that talked about for the first time, I I don't know about ever, but in many, many years, um, those that had a favorable impression of college and the need for a college diploma was less than 50%. So these are all worrying trends about what we're doing and what we're selling them, um, the public at large, that is. And so I think, you know, I I think about two things. So one, you know, Robbie talks about, you know, looking at different models that maybe are not just the seven period day with, um, you know, fulfilling specific prerequisites. And if you look at Germany, um, they offer a model that is quite different. And Casey and I both went to Germany um, about a decade ago, um, sponsored by the Goethe Institute. Shout out, send us on another free trip. Um, Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> uh, this is paid. It was great. Um, 
No, but their system, you know, they they identify students much earlier instead of in, in compulsory education does not go till 18. And it's not a one size fits all. Like every kid needs to go till 18 and graduate college and then have something and then and then decide what they want to do. Kids are um um you know hooked up with internships and other opportunities much much you know prior to that. Now that's not it's not a perfect system by any means. Um, you know, there's certain racial disparities that happen um, as part and parcel with that as kids are tracked at a very young age. And in this country, obviously, we're like so far away from anything like that, um, you know, that it's not like an overnight solution. But I do think looking at other models such as that is is worth considering. And then I think the other um, the other thing I kind of wanted to bring up is, and I had this discussion with a colleague years ago, and what, what we ended up calling it was like camp school, where you know, you don't have to take the seven classes that you have to take. You do up until a certain point, but at some point you can say, you know what? I don't need algebra two. That's not a track that I'm going down. And if later on in my life, or if I go into college and I want to do that, then I can, I'll go ahead and enroll in that. And, you know, same thing for any number of subjects. You know, I'm not going to be a writer. I'm not going to do literature. Like, do I really need to take 11th grade modern literature studying the poets of the late 1990s in Great Britain? You know, maybe not. And I know that kind of craps all over the idea of liberal arts education, but while we're just kind of thinking outside the box here and of ways that maybe we're not doing, you know, selling the public what they want or kids what they want, you know, those are just some of the kind of ideas that, that come to mind for me. All yeah, right. So, so hold on, hold on real oh, quick, yeah. Mr. Siddons, just, just a quick segue. So, little quiz, because I know you've got a good one coming for us, CH, in a little bit. But I do. Is do you have this question in your quiz, Mr. Crable? What is a Carnegie unit? Oh, it's it's it. Oh, you want me to answer? Yeah, one? yeah. Okay, you oh, go. It's it's the, like the it's your 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 GPA. <laughs> No, it's it's your I credit. How many, you. That how many credits you? How many credits you get for a course? It's how many pieces of steel you own. <laughs> you, you, got, uh, you got you got it, Mister Siddons, on your second try. Good job. Okay. But did you did you? Wait, what, what did he say? Point? I wasn't listening. <laughs> uh, what is it? Say say your second answer. It, it's Siddons. how many credits you accrue for a class. Okay, got it. All right. It's a measure of the amount of time a student has studied a subject. For example, a total of 120 hours in one subject, meaning meeting four or five times a week for 40 to 60 minutes for 36 to 40 weeks each year, earns the student one unit of high school credit. Do you want to take a guess when Carnegie units were first read, widely adopted across the United States to basically structure high school graduation? 1922. Oh, 19, I was going to say 1924. 1906. Oh, Teddy Roosevelt. That yeah. is a pretty old system. Uh, so, <laughs> so honestly, the the high school accreditation for graduation is still based on the accumulation of Carnegie units. How much time that, your butt's in that seat? Correct, and. I mean, that just shows you how just kind of inherently resistant to change public education is. Um, and even so, even thinking about changing that dynamic, 
you're even getting into the things of why do we have 180 days for so many school districts? Like, what is the point of being in school for 180 days versus 200 or versus 170? And when you compare country over countries across the world, I mean, uh, United States is in school some of the, uh, in terms of modern countries, or I shouldn't say modern countries, but developed countries of we are in school fewer days than a lot of other on average a lot of other uh, school systems in the country in the entire world is this going to take us to, to a year-round school conversation Mr. no Simmons? i'm not i'm not going <laughs> to go there that, i mean that that's been a topic since 2016 it has, it has <laughs> since first season of that's not dead but i did I, I, I do think it provides a good segue um into ai and the, and the role of ai because i think what i struggle with is you know for me now having done the entire school system um it, it's like i have a knowledge base so that i feel equipped to use ai as like a time saver you know it can write something and i can be like true not true true not true change this change this change this cuz i know what like a good end product is maybe that i'm going for to try and generate I'm going to out you. Your teacher commendations, you're using chat, chat GPT <laughs> to write your teacher commendations. That is so cheap, Mr. Crable. We're, we're not naming specific tasks here. But it's not the purpose of this segment. Hold, hold on, hold on. One of, the, one of the primary challenges with implementing AI in schools is ensuring equitable access and overcoming resource disparities among educational institutions. Additionally, there are concerns about data, privacy, ethics, and the need for proper teacher training to effectively integrate AI tools into the curriculum. I just huh. came up with that on the top of my head. <laughs> Is that what Chappie GPT told you about uh, GPT? Yeah, I, I just texted it. What's the challenge with AI in schools right now? And that's what it told you? <laughs> like literally just spit it out. <laughs> but really like balancing the benefits of AI-driven personalized learning with the potential risks and ethical considerations remains a significant <laughs> Okay, challenge. stop reading. Policymakers. <laughs> no, I, think just I mean, that's just, that's just off the top right. of the noggin, really. Mr. Crable, what were you going to say? So, Sorry, so, what, okay, so what I struggle with is somebody like who didn't grow up with this at your fingertips is, you know, what, how much do you need to know before you can start using AI effectively? You know what I mean? Could you just give it to any random 12 year old and be like, here's your assignment, put it in and see what it comes up with and then edit it so that it's correct. Or are they so far away from that, that you still need to do like building knowledge, building knowledge, kind of like all the old all the old school stuff before that they're they're like ready to access it as a useful tool. It's it's fascinating because I was literally having a discussion yesterday with a colleague and a, a teacher tool was brought up that that implements AI in a lot of different ways to create emails to parents about behavior issues, uh, uh, emails to, uh, to colleagues about concerns you have over student behavior. And one of the things tools was to write recommendation letters, which a lot of eighth grade teachers have to do for high school. And a lot of, I'm sure a lot of high school teachers and counselors have to do it. And we were talking about the, the teacher right there created a, a, a recommendation letter based on a current student that is in our eighth grade. And I was like, whoa, it's fascinating. It's really well written. And then it, it it's a fascinating discussion because it's like, well, what's the value of a, of a recommendation letter that hasn't been written by you versus I go in my folder right now and I have a, a bunch of recommendation letters that I've written in the past. And I just kind of, you know, modify ones that I've used in the past maybe, or, uh, you know, we, we've all been there, I think, 
but it, it, it's oh, well, we, 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 there's no reason to, there's <laughs> okay. no reason to okay. apologize for that. Okay. I just wanted to make sure that we're on the same page and <laughs> we've, 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 we've done that, but I mean, I, I Graves, to your point, I mean, I remember when I was a fourth grade teacher in night in 1999 or 2000 and i got this grant to raise red breast sunfish in the classroom remember me telling you about this casey um no i don't remember red breast sunfish yeah i got this i got this sea grant to start an aquaculture program in my classroom and we did all these cool science experiments we actually anesthetized the fish with clove oil and we monitored how they gained weight over the course of the year wow uh, so anyway and i had a, re- a lot of really energetic uh fourth graders that were totally into it so but i remember we were doing we were actually doing the anesthetizing after school one day and and the kids were kind of at this computer hub and there was a question and I, i'll never forget her her name was kim she said i'll google it and I was like, what will you do? I, I didn't, I did, I had no idea what she was talking about. That was 23 years ago. And I mean, Kim didn't have to go to the card catalog and go find a book to look something up or go get an encyclopedia. Now she had the answer at her fingertips on a screen. It just seems to me to your question, PC. Did we ever really figure out where the line was with that? And now there's this new line of what do they need to know or be able to do before we can reliably set them free on chat GPT or AI. I I don't, I don't know if we're going to have, I don't know if we're ever, it's going to move so fast. We're not going to be able to set some threshold on a knowledge base or anything like that i don't think i think well, it's just gonna, it's just going to take over essentially well, and it's uh so like the terminator so attack of the clones so <laughs> all the things i was listening to a podcast all the things that we feared uh from the movies of the of our youth in the 90s my youth sorry robin uh the terminator things like that uh at jurassic park all those things are just coming to pass in real life when we already made the movies about it and we just need to say hey We've tried this. It's not a not a great idea. I don't. I didn't get the Jurassic. Where's the Tyrannosaurus Rex? I haven't oh, seen it. There's, there's They're a, trying to bring back the passenger pigeon and the woolly. Oh, okay. The, no, the woolly mammoth too. It's called the oh. de de extinction. I think is what it's called. I, I, yeah. I'm all for de extinction. I think that'd be cool. Let's bring him back. Bring passenger back pigeon. I would pass on, but uh, but uh, <laughs> a Triceratops. I would be all for. I think that. I think that would be cool. Wow. <laughs> That's where you draw the line. Oh, the only triceratops and above. <laughs> With the proliferation of AI and ChatGBT, you're going to be able to answer the questions that are coming your way with our quiz coming up oh, here. So who wants to be it. first? Because I have separate quizzes for you both based on some, uh, since it's the end of the year, I have some special quizzes for you both. You ready? Uh, Mr. Yes, Mr. Siddons, really quick. Yes. In a future episode, one of these really cool articles you loaded in the compendium was... <laughs> The 74, uh, that's the title. I don't think we've ever used this uh, this blog, but um, we are going to get really into 
the 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 culture wars around reading instruction because we're going to respond to sold a story right the 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 very popular podcast yes absolutely we have some we're going to get some guests on to talk about reading and uh talk about reading not only at the elementary level where it's obviously most pronounced but i think we we need to also talk about reading in 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 the secondary schools as well all right so stay tuned folks all right quiz time all right, who wants to go first? I'll go first. All right. Well, Mr. Crable, aka Mr. Krabs, your quiz is about blue crabs. Oh, that's good. Oh, that's Are you ready. I would have done. I would have killed this. All right. You have to, each have three questions. They're blue. All okay. Right, Question one: What color are they? No. The scientific name for blue crabs is. I'm going to butcher this, and I know that Robbie could probably say it. I'm going to watch his face. (laughs) Kalanectus sapdius, which which means what? A, beautiful, savory swimmer. B, beautiful, blue swimmer. Or C, beautiful, delicious swimmer. I'm going to go with a beautiful, blue swimmer. Incorrect. It's beautiful, savory swimmer. Savory. Mm. Sorry. That's a lie, but anyway, yeah. <laughs> Actually, there's a there's a there's a Latin term that means savory. Is that did you read did you read the Latin name? Was that the Latin name? Yes. Okay, that's interesting. Well, just All look right. it up on ChatGBT later. Okay. Number two, <laughs> how often do female blue crabs mate? Is it A once, B twice, or C three times a lady? In their lifetime? How uh, that's a good question. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) A little hard to answer the question. It's not very specific, but we don't even really know how long that that I would know, (laughs) nor would it help me with the answer. So I'm going to go with three times. Incorrect. It's once. (laughs) That was my next guess. (laughs) That has to be a year. They can't just, they just can't. They they can't. Dead as a species. I know. I mean, so I once mean, it's, 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 I get my my quiz questions on Google. Okay, between the carcinogens in the Chesapeake Bay and only mating once a lifetime, there wouldn't they would have been gone a hundred years ago. <laughs> no, right. only, only once. I, mean, I, I, their, I I just looked it up. Yeah, in their in their lifespan. Yeah, once well, there females re- reach sexual maturity, they mate with a male only once. Well, maybe. that's that's their fault for being almost extinct. And they, I, they, I, they, I would, I, when we get to our take backs and apology segments, I will hope that you will apologize and take back your comments and your thoughts, <laughs> your personal thoughts towards my quiz questions. Uh, all right, is he and number is he, three? Is he over two? He's yes, over two. Number three. How many eggs do they release per brood? Oh, and I don't my. even know really what a brood is, but all right, is it a one million? B, 2 million, or C, 3 million? Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with... They're hard questions. 1 million. 1 million's correct. Oh, it's on the board. Per brood. All right, so 1 for 3. Let's see how Bobby Dodd, used car salesman, does for his <laughs> quiz. All right, Dr. Dodd, what we want... I know... We know all about you, Dr. Dodd, Okay. But what I, what I would like to know is, what do you know about Bobby Dodd? <laughs> and Bobby Dodd it, uh, was a famous coach in the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta. And his namesake of the Bobby Dodd Stadium is the football stadium where they currently 
play. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you could have done turned that whole introduction into several questions and I would have done well but now. <laughs> all right. Go, okay, no. go ahead. Is, any questions about his great hair? That's all I remember about him. <laughs> Number one, hair. Bobby Dodd Stadium has been home to the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets football team, often referred to as what? A, the Ramblin' Rose, B, the Ramblin' Wreck, or C, the Ramblin' Robbie. That that's what the stadium is referred to. The team is often to refer to. Oh, um, oh come on, dude. I I, I don't. I, I mean, I don't know much about uh, Georgia Tech football. Uh, uh, I'm going to go with B. B is correct. The Ramblin' Wreck. Okay. Rhymes. One for one. All right. According to one newspaper article of the era, it was said of Dodd. It is doubtful if any quarterback in the South can match Dodd on all-around ability. He's a quarterback at one point, by the way. He is a fine passer, a punter of ability, and the greatest field general to ever grace Southern turf since the days of the one and only whom? A. Hooley Pubert. <laughs> B. Pooley <laughs> Hubert. Or C. Pooley Hubert. Okay. <laughs> that, that. What about D, Norm Van Brocklin? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's a ridiculous question. Go to uh, Pooley there, Hubert. There is, a, there is a real name in there. <laughs> okay, read them one more time, the three of them. All right. A, Hooley Pubert. <laughs> B, Fooley Hubert. Or C, Pooley Hubert. Okay, I'm going to go with C. C is correct. Pooley uh, Huber is the correct answer. And, and and where did he go to college? Did you look that up? Did I he go to Tech? You, you can. Uh, yes, I think so. You can. Yeah. You can. You can. It's on the Wikipedia page. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Number three. Which of the following quotes is attributed to Bobby Dodd? A. Either love your players or get out of coaching. B, it's not the will to win that matters. Everyone has that. It's the will to prepare to win that matters. Or C, it is not the recruits' fault for not making the squad. It was the coach's fault for misjudging their talents. Oh, that's cold sauce. <laughs> I thought that C was going to end positively for the player, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the player was bad. Pretty much I the player's was, fault at all. I thought, it, yeah, I, thought, I thought it was like, I taught it. You didn't learn it. It's your, <laughs> uh, uh, Gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a risk and and I think I mean Bobby Dodd is revered, but I think maybe he was a a, a, a jerk sometimes. So I'm gonna go with C. C is correct, and so were A and B. But oh. uh, all of the above, all of the above. Man, I would got that one right. C is at one of his interesting quotes because he would not allow any of his football players to be dismissed from Tech just because they were not the best players. So he actually was defending his players. Uh, from getting kicked off the team. So anyway, three for three, Doctor Dodd. Impressive. That 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 is uh, that that's great. I did I did <laughs> I did fine. I have a quick Bobby Dodd story. Um, you know that my better half uh, was born and spent the first part of her life in Decatur, Georgia, and um, she still has a, a whole clan down there in the Atlanta area. Um, her dad, my father in law, was quite the high school football star in Georgia and um, was recruited to play at Florida state. Um, 
But he did when he was in high school. He got to go stand on the sideline at a Georgia Tech game, and he met Coach Bobby Dodd. Oh, um, really? And he said, yes, he was terrified. He was 18 years old, and Bobby Dodd was the legend, and uh, he got to say hello to him. I think he just said something to the effect of, hello, young man, or something like that. But anyway. Well, but, but in my cursory overview of his life, it seemed like he was a very gentle and kind person. Mm. Yep. So, yep. Uh, yep. Not like not like Pooley Herb Hubert though. I just put his. Link I do want to know where Pooley Hubert went to college. So he, I looked it up. He was at uh, Alabama. Alabama. Uh huh. What years? Nineteen twenty-two to nineteen twenty-five, when they were using meat helmets. <laughs> wow. It, is he a finished descent? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Where did that come from? Well, his full how name. Would you, how would you know that that would be a finish? <laughs> I'm pretty good with etymology, Robbie. I don't know. His, okay, his, right. his full name was his full name was Allison Thomas Stanislaus Pooley Herb Hubert. Oh, <laughs> well, aristocrat. And he was a he was a roll tide legend. Yep, there it is. All right, uh, um, Mr. I do Mr. have I do Go have ahead. one correction. Uh, when I was referring to the great hair, I was actually thinking of. Bobby Kremens. Oh, Bobby Kremens. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Bobby Kremens, the with the big shock of white hair, you know, that was a staple in the Georgia Tech sidelines of my childhood. Uh, he he, when he they were was. in ACC with Maryland. That's who I, I was thinking of. I would put him in there. He was in the he was in the Dean, um, Mike Shashevsky, even before Mike Shashevsky, I think Lefty Drizel era, right? Yeah. And yeah. and 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 uh Valvano. That was all the that was the great era of the ACC in the 70s and 80s. You got it. Um he was a good coach. Yeah. I think That's he had recall. Yep. Well, I hope you um, enjoyed the quiz. I wanted to give you all a taste of what our guests get in terms of their quizzes. So I, I decided to do something terrible. special for you. <laughs> I, I I can see the Bobby Dodd connection, obviously, but what what made you pick blue crabs? Well, I was going to do uh, Mr. Krabs from from uh, SpongeBob, but I know that Crable has a distaste for SpongeBob SquarePants and probably has no clue about anything with SpongeBob. So maybe I'm wrong. I don't know any, anything about blue crabs either. I don't have a distaste. I just never. It was never a show the kids got into. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Brian, well, you kind of. I mean, as a kid, you. Missed it, Mr. Yeah. Graves. And, yeah, no, it would and, have only been with my own joke. Right. Sure, sure, and sure, and sure. it's a little it's a little past its prime for your own children. Uh it was right in the sweet spot of the 35-year-old millennial co-host of this show. <laughs> it was perfect for me and yes. I loved it. I loved that. 36. 38, baby. 38? I'm 38 now. I'm 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 pushing 40. Were you born in 87? 85. I'm 38, well, I, I think. I, I always get you confused with one Mr. Greg Miller. Yeah, he's probably in his 40s right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, as always, you can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC. Um, and check out the website, edsnotdead.com. There's still some very well-written blogs on there by Mr. Crable and Mr. Siddons. Uh, Ed's, are. Not Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Ed's Not Dead Media, full-service educational media company focusing on leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. Uh, if you've listened to this show, uh, we greatly appreciate you um, sticking with us and coming back. And we promise, what's our, what's our show New Year's resolution, fellas? We're definitely going to be making more episodes. To do a show. 
Yeah. To do just one, Mr. Kramer? <laughs> just one. We'll, we'll just start with one. <laughs> we'll start with one. So, Mr. Sittens, you need to send out some 2024 show invites so we- I'm on it. Do a better job recording. I'm on it. And I got okay. some good guests lined up from our friends at Wise. And uh, I think we're going to have a good good year of shows coming up. All right. Awesome. Uh, congratulations again to uh, Mark Cohen, Jennifer Webster. Uh, did I call her- Jennifer Webster, this whole show. Did I really call her Jennifer Webster? Yeah, you call her Jen. Her name is Jennifer Baker. Oh, well. Do we have to re record the whole show? I told you I was rusty at the beginning of the show. That is, <laughs> we'll just do, we'll do individual voiceovers on every single one. You yeah, have that's, to do, that's fine. That's easy. You, you do have to do that. And you Jennifer, can leave this. You can leave this part at the very end of the show where I acknowledge it, but nobody was. They were. That's right. That's easy editing. This is all right. Do I need to say? Do I need to say Baker slow like that so you can like copy and paste it? Yeah, and then you just go back and listen to the episode and find every time you say it incorrectly, (laughs) and then give me the timestamp, and then I'll fix it. How about that? (laughs) Anyway, my apologies to Jen Baker, uh, the awesome former principal of Walter Johnson High School, Um, and Jen Webster. I don't know if she's a friend of the show, but she was also an awesome principal. Um, there you go. Anyway, and of course, Mr. Ed Owusu. Um, and fellas, it's great to see you again. Uh, thanks to everybody for checking us out. And uh, we'll be back on in the new year. We hope you have uh Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and uh, Happy New Year for Peter and Casey. Uh, thanks for tuning into Ed's Not Dead. We'll talk to you soon.